when I went on the fire department, they took you and they, they gave you a, they gave you a talk, uh, uh, the, the assistant chief talked to you and told you what they expected from you as an individual, as a, as a firefighter, and, uh, or as a fireman, uh, you know, and it was just very simple. You, 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 you pay your bills, you take care of your family, and you, you stay responsible in, the, in your neighborhood. And if you do those things, you'll have a job. When you break those rules, when you become a person who doesn't pay the electric bill, <laughs> simple as that, a person who doesn't pay Sears on time, or a person who doesn't, uh, who mistreats a neighbor, you're not going to be a fireman anymore. It was kind of that simple. They tell you that. Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. I recorded this episode a few weeks ago with two retired fire service chief officers who I met through a family friend. Chief Ronald W. Mason Sr. began his fire service career at the City of Tampa Fire Department in 1962 and ultimately rose to the position of fire chief from 1976 to 1979. Chief Mason is credited with hiring the first African-American and female firefighters in the department but his EMS stories on how the department became one of the first EMS agencies to provide ALS care in the field is pretty interesting. His younger brother, Steve Mason, is also a guest. Steve started in his career in 1962 and rose to the rank of district chief, and he has some interesting stories of how he got his start in the fire service and his paramedic service as well. The Mason family's history of public safety service spans at least nine decades, starting with Ronnie's uncles, and continued with his son, Doug Mason, who also retired from the Tampa Fire Rescue Department. And he even makes a guest appearance on this episode. I want to give a special shout out to my cousin, Mary Roberts, for connecting us, and Juliet, who helped me pull all of this together. Julie is Ronnie's daughter, and you'll even get to hear from her for a brief moment in this episode as well. Enjoy. Well, let's kind of go back in, uh, for Ronald Mason, uh, senior. Um, or you, the, you're the oldest brother. I'm taking it. Surely, yeah. Uh, how did you get started in the fire service? I mean, as a, you know, we're we're, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Tampa and your guys' history and uh, how um, how your fire service career went. And kind of the first part is how did you get involved in, in working in the fire department? Well, uh, married uh, at uh, 19 years old, 20 years old. We well married. We moved into an apartment house next to a fire station. Fire station number seven, which is, is still there but not being used anymore by the city of Tampa. And uh, we had an apartment that overlooked the fire department or fire station. I had an uncle that was a fireman there, and I had an uncle that was uh, uh, a captain then at that time, or a district chief. And uh, working there, I'd watch them go out on fire and everything. They keep talking to me. and. One day it was it was tough getting work, and I was working at a feed company, and one of them said, "Why don't you become a fireman?" So I went down and uh, got 
and they had some openings, and they hired me and put me in training, and I, I became a fireman that year. Right after being married, about a year, I became a firefighter. And what year was that? That was in 1950. So what was the uh, what was that initial training like? What uh, what kind of training did they put you through after you got hired? Well, the day I was hired, they told me the fire stations had uh, go over there and find you an old coat on the back of one of the trucks and a, cal a helmet. That'll be your equipment. And when you come to work, just make sure you have at least jeans on and long sleeve shirts. There was no uniforms. It was actually you wore your civilian clothes and. Uh, they supplied you a helmet, and uh, you got your own gloves, and they gave you a, a jacket, a fire jacket, and they were all you. They had big uh, closets full of them. You'd go in and pick you out one fit, one would fit you, and take the old name off, put the new name on it. So that was that. Was there any uh, recruit? And today they go to recruit schools for you know four months, six months. Yes, and uh, well, also our people are all generally paramedics. Try to get to be have their medic uh, degree before they uh, are hired if they possibly can. That's today. Was that the was that the case in 1950 or was it? No. Uh, okay. We didn't have paramedics. Right. So just fire trucks. That was all you ran. You had a fire truck and you went the first day and they said that's you stand right there. When you get to the fire, your job you'll be the plug, but you grab that hose and wrap around the plug, and just listen to everything. They'll tell you where to how to hook it up. They took me out in front of the fire station. Pulled an old hose, uh, a line off of a truck, and said, "Here, show me how to use a spanner. Let me know what a spanner was. I know what a spanner was, spanner wrench." And, and they said, uh, "You wrap it around, hold it, and then you take this cap. I'll put that on, and listen for the bell to ring. And when the bell rings, you turn the water on." When the bell from the engine rang, the they, that was your signal to. Yeah. yeah. And the trucks all had uh, bells on them, and. And uh, we did have radios on all of them then. Okay. So you were able to at least communicate to somebody. Was it, or was it back it was to a, a dispatcher? dispatcher? Yeah, yeah. A dispatcher, gotcha. yeah. Gotcha. And uh, Steve, um, you came along after that. How, how many years after that did you get interested in the fire Well, service? Ron and I are 10 years apart. He's 90 now, and I'm 80. And uh, I went on the fire department in 1962. So I went on a good 12 years later. And at that time, they had formed a drill ground, so you had 30 days of training after you were hired. A little, little bit different than go get your little, coat and here's how you work a hydrant. Coat. Yeah. Matter of fact, what they did, they took you uh, down to the credit union, uh, signed a note for you for $100, and that allowed you to go and buy your fire coat, suit, Thanks. helmet, and... Uh, gloves everything you needed and you owned it and uh, you that was your first credit union note you became a member of the credit union you had your gear then you went to school for 30 days so let's just back up your your entire protective ensemble you got for a hundred bucks 100 bucks 100 bucks 100 dollars. okay that's changed and a bit that's changed a bit <laughs> and uh we had we had no breathing apparatuses then they had nothing to protect you from any type of smoke or anything then that just wasn't around so all you needed was coat, pants, boots, and, and your helmet. Uh, there was not even any face mask or anything on the helmet at the time. But uh, we did go to school for 30 days, and you were assigned to a shift. There was three shifts on the fire department. And the day at the training grounds, when you were finished with the training grounds for eight hours, you went to the fire station and served 
one night there. And so you would get in your shift at night, get to know the routines, and get some in-service training in the station a little bit beside at the drill grounds. Into 30 days, you were assigned to a, a district, and you begin to move around from station to station. And, and again, uh, they, had a, they had rescue cars then when I came on the job. My brother was on the rescue uh, at that time, and they had rescue station wagons. Uh, carried just a little light equipment. Uh, uh, back then, nobody was a paramedic. They were EMTs, basically, of some sort. They weren't even, there was not even EMT certifications. They were kind of certified. American Red Cross. American Red Cross, Red Cross taught us CPR. And you were assigned to a car, and we had some guys that were, came on the job that were, came out of the Air Force, Army, and they were uh, medics in the service. They helped, you know, helped us show us some things. So uh, that was our rescue car. And that's how I started. So you, when you say rescue car, it was literally a sedan? It was a four a station wagon. Okay. Did you transport patients in that as Did well? Did not. We had three people. We had, a dri- we had a driver, a lieutenant driver, a captain, and a, and a, 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 a aidman in the back. We carried uh, stuff to do CPR. We carried OB kits for ba- birth of babies, uh, all kind of first aid equipment. And we did get a little later. We got a machine called a E and J resuscitator. E and J dual resuscitator. Dual resuscitator. It was a machine that you could lay somebody underneath it on a stretcher, and it actually had a pump and did CPR, and you hook up the oxygen. So it did the CPR automatically. It was a machine we thought was the miracle machine. Miracle machine. So what year was this? This would be. This would have been about nine. I'm gonna give you just an answer, but around 1964, uh, five, gotcha. somewhere, right. three years after I was a job. And today, but that machine, but kind of got out of whack because trying to set the machine for the proper compressions uh, was very difficult sometimes. I'm gonna see. So if let I me can put find a little bit in about that machine. It was so awkward and heavy to carry. We retired a number of firemen. From the rescue division with back injuries. We had it must be a good thing. After I got worked a little bit on rescue, we had one injured from carrying that thing upstairs, falling, stumbling with it and all. It was a big machine you had to carry it up and down stairs and we retired. Two or three firemen with back injuries from that machine we would carry it. I gotta go um, find a picture of that rascal then. Uh, the E and J dual resuscitator. I, I wrote that down. I'm gonna say go go yeah. do some internet searching later. So uh Fact, but people at the time, they called it a miracle machine. We'd pull up there with a fire rescue, hook somebody up, and put that on them and suction them a little bit and everything. And, and we saved a few people. Cool. And we'd save uh, a person. it become a miracle machine. They'd see the fire rescue and they'd say, oh, they got that miracle machine. They'd just bring <laughs> it to you and right, people live. That miracle machine does, yeah. a, does <laughs> a job. But the, the, another thing, let me fill in on yeah. this. The people that were assigned to fire rescue weren't really in favor of lots of firefighters. They said, you're trying to be doctors. We're not doctors, we're firemen, we put out fires. So we had to establish the idea of being paramedics, which myself and Jimmy White, who was one of the older fire, uh, men in fire rescue, and Al McCaskill, they were two of the people that actually started it and babied it along. They were old firefighters and they were interested in it. They, we got into the, and then we said, well, we're gonna have to do something to 
save the fire department. The fire department would come and just put out fires. That one, they call, they call you for emergencies. That's what they really need you for, life-saving emergencies. So we, we came up with the idea of a rescue division, and that was quite hard to sell to the city and to all firefighters. Most of the firefighters, we don't want to be doctors. We, we're firemen. We go put out fires. But as, as it, we got people going to school, we all went to school. A number of us went to school, 10 of us. We got our degrees, and then we established with the state a program using 10 doctors in Tampa. They established that program. And uh, Dr. Eric Harrison and uh, Dr. Peter and I were the cardiologists that were really, really helped us along. And uh, we got our pro. Uh, program put in through Tallahassee and certified to, and they served, we were the first group certified here in Tampa. There was 10 of us that was certified, had to be the first one. And uh, when we got that degree, then we turned the, the department around, we turned it from a fire service into ERA, an emergency service. And it changed over the years, and now you don't know them really the fire department. They put out fires, but they're known as a Emergency technicians were going to emergency save people's lives. What, what was that paramedic training like? Um, you know, about what time? You, what time in your career was that? What year? Because um, I went through a paramedic program in the early '80s, and it was literally a 12-month program, two nights a week, a couple days a week, clinical time. Uh, what was your program like, and when did that kick off? We 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 set up, but we were with those doctors we worked with. The doctors, the ten doctors that worked with us, we set those programs up. They, those doctors, even rode with us on the units time to train us. We would have a, a code going somewhere, and the thing that you find out, we had to, first we had to start identifying. That's one of the things interesting about where did the code start and all that. So we got together and said, we'll have codes. And uh, first, uh, the heart attack wasn't uh, what to call a code today. It was a uh, code 13. When it occurred 13, uh, you yeah. remember? Code 13 was a heart attack. We had so many heart attacks, we finally just, uh, the paper, everybody, the news, everybody, the doctors, everybody, we said, wait, but we got to do something here. Let's just call it a code. And that was established in Tampa. The word is it was calling code to a, an emergency, as far as I think was done that, and the whole nation picked it up. California contacted us. Different people, what do you use? And we told them, we wrote a book, we had a book published, and I don't know where it's at now, but we published a book. We sent out all our information here, and those things were used all over the nation. And actually, uh, they used it on uh, the emergency. They came here and filmed some of the series of emergency on TV, and we gave them those things, the code, and that's how it got used nationwide, being a code, right. came from Tampa. And you, uh, you mentioned you happened to be sitting somewhere and ran into a couple of a uh, couple of those people from that show. You want to tell that story? Yeah, we we uh, they came to Tampa and visited with us, and uh, we met them. They were, I can't remember their names now. They had Ke Kevin Ty and uh, Randolph Mantooth. Yeah. yeah, Johnny and Roy. Johnny and Roy, and we met them. They rode with us. I have pictures of them somewhere here in my at home with a picture of them being by standing by our rescue cars and riding with us. And they uh, thought it was so interesting to be with the live action. In fact, some of the series, they sort of took notes. Their people, producers, took notes on what we were doing. And we always claimed that 
some of the actual series. They used it. We never got anything out of it. We get tell them we want some, you know, royalties out of that. They used our information right out of Tampa. Oh, neat. Steve, what, you know, where did you? What? How did your career path well, take you from there? You let me add rescued? a little bit to yeah. the training because I came on and and I volunteered to go into the rescue when we had station wagons and all the kind of obsolete type of equipment, and we did that for several years. And then, as Ronnie told you, they they begin to invest in a paramedic program. When I became excuse me, yeah. when I became fire chief, they they. I had lots of firemen that weren't really happy with me at fire chief because they said, well, now we're going to turn it into an emergency service, and we did. Oh, my gosh, we got a paramedic at the head of the head yeah. of the ship now. What's going to happen? That was it. Yeah. I took a lots of lambasting by the firemen. They didn't like me too much because they always thought I just want to put out fires. And But once they got into it, and more of them got their degrees, and at first they uh, got state certified, which I'd like for you, if you could, to talk to Eric Harrison or... Uh, Peter O'Knight, they'll they'll fill you in. Dr. Eric Garrison, he is he was really our number one leader and as a, as the physician, he's a and he is a cardiologist here in Tampa. He should receive a lot of credit for the things that we're talking about that for the Tampa Fire Department. Tell you a little bit about my viewpoint when the paramedic program started, and Ronnie was had just taken over as fire chief. Uh, the program was set up so the training was done in service. We would come to work at the fire station. They would send us to Tampa General Hospital, and we would serve an eight-hour tour duty at the hospital, learning all about uh, the things we didn't know as paramedics. In the emergency room. Actually getting our hands on things. We worked in the emergency room. They put a white coat on us. Uh, they sent us around the hospital. We did all the uh, taking blood samples of patients. We learned how to do all that by being in the hospital. But just to give an example how simple the class was, on my very first class, the nurse says, you want to get a feel of what it's like for a needle to enter an arm? I'm going to give you an orange. And you just poke that needle in an orange, and that's what it feels like when you enter that vein. And that's what we used to practice on orange for a while. And then we went to the hospital and started on patients. And then we would actually attend open heart surgeries one at a time, yeah. sit in and watch open heart surgery. So we knew what we, were, what we were looking at because back in the first days of paramedics and some of the equipment we had, if we were working as Ronnie mentioned to you, a code, a person who had passed away and we're trying to revive that person. We had an intercardiac needle that was probably 12 to 13 inches long that we would go right under the rib cage and go right straight to the heart, shoot atropine or whatever we needed to get that heart started again, not knowing where that needle was gonna hit. That, but that was, the, that was the training then at the hospital. But at least you had seen where the heart normally exactly. sits and you could go And the there. doctors were teaching us all this. And uh, so we got our certifications after we all spent months and months and months. There was no a college uh, a program to go to at that time. Uh, you could go and get, get your Red Cross training and go get an EMT certification. But to get a paramedic certification... You had to go through all these doctors, and they had to sign off and certify you. 
So we, it wasn't necessarily a, a we curriculum. We did establish that we established. But the curriculum was established as okay. years went on. And but we were right. Uh, Ronnie Hillsborough was. County Junior College yeah. established a degree through us. Yeah. And our people taught there. And, and we started a program. program. But when Ronnie was chief, he called me one day and said, hey, they've got a symposium of paramedics in Boston. It's going to be a one-week symposium. Would you like to go and see what the paramedic programs are doing around the world, around the nation, not the world, the nation? So when I get to Boston, I find out there's three cities that are advanced in paramedic training, Seattle, Miami, and Tampa. Tampa yeah. They were the beginning fire departments that really grasped the program and started. So this is really even before, like everybody thinks LA County and the emergency, no. and that was kind of the, yeah. that's where it started. That it really started know. in other states it and started, in California. It started adopted. in Seattle, Miami, and Tampa was the three major cities. When I went to Boston and they asked me just to give an outline of, of what we were doing in Tampa, we were so far advanced of all those fire departments there, they were amazed that we were doing intercardiac needles, we were doing this, we were doing that. We were starting IVs. We were administering drugs. They were wondering, "You're doing that already? We're just starting." So we were we were miles ahead. Everybody caught up quickly. Everybody started quickly and got caught up. But it was an amazing training because we got to work right in the hospital, do the actual things. And when you're when you're training, and all of a sudden they give you a a a, a, a little kit to go into a room, and you're looking at a, a an eight year eight month old baby or a one-and-a-half-year-old child, and that, you've, got to, you've got to draw blood from that person, it's, it's, it's a task. It's, it's something, the training was outstanding. I mean, these doctors, like he's telling you, they just gave us time and time and time again to put this program together. And when the first truck went into service, the truck so that we could transport somebody, Ronnie was fire chief, and it came to the station where I was a paramedic, and we put the first truck in. And it was amazing because we had all this nice equipment, not like the trucks they have today, but it was a truck. And Re we had relatively a nice. It's relatively, relatively nice. nice. Yes. So that's kind of how I got, you know, trained and got my certification. And uh, later, it just, of course, it just got better, and better, and better, more training, more training. These guys just got, and of course, the fire departments, just like Ronnie said, developed to. Now our fire department is not called Tampa Fire Department. It's called. T Tampa Fire Rescue right. is what it's called. And I always joke with some of the guys I used to work with, it was Chesterfield Fire and EMS, and I always said, it, oh, it really ought to be Chesterfield EMS and fire because we do a lot of EMS and occasionally we'll run a fire <laughs> call. What was, what was the call load like back then relative to fire versus rescue calls? Was it 50-50? Did you run a few rescues, more fires? What did that well, look like? Well, the calls were then? way up rescue. rescue. If, if, if I was on duty, uh, we were in housed in with uh, maybe a ladder truck and a engine there at the station or maybe just an engine uh, and a tank truck. The fire rescue was nothing for us to run fairly steady all day long and then get up eight or ten times during the night every every hour, hour and a half because everybody used fire rescue. Inner city meth ma mainly because uh, I mean every emergency they call fire rescue. I don't care if it was we answered some probably Ronnie could tell you some of the craziest calls you would ever see that would never be called an, uh, an emergency, but they call fire uh, rescue. Still happens today, I'm, I'm pretty I'm sure. sure. 
So let's let's talk a little bit about Tampa for people who aren't familiar with the city. What give me a kind of a, a thumbnail sketch of what the city of Tampa and the environment was like you guys were running in at the time. It's um, I mean I know it because I've been through there. It's a fairly urban city. Did did you have anything outside of kind of the urban district that you ran? We or was we it took at one time, the county didn't have any of the services. The fire department didn't have it, so we covered for them. They'd get a someone that need uh, uh, well, they had a code then. Then we'd send a fire rescue out into the county and do it for them, work a code for them. That was, that was familiar. But then the county slowly got their rescue division, developed it very slowly, developed it. So I just want to tell you about the incident. I wasn't a happy camper always with fire rescue. When I was, we were going through all this training on the University of Miami, and they were big in it. They were starting their program. As he said, it was three companies. Miami's one of them. Chief Lehman called me in one day and said, Next Monday, he said, you're going to the University of Miami to take a down there for two weeks. I said, for what? He said, you're being put into paramedic to qualify for paramedic. I said, I've got a part-time job. I've got a family I have to pay. And we had an automobile business. <laughs> I said, I can't do that. He says, he said, you want your job? You're doing it. <laughs> I would leave on Monday morning. I'd get up and go to the, down to the University of Miami and stay all week and go to college all week in the classes and come back on Friday, and I did that for four weeks to, so we could qualify. Now, I wasn't really happy about that. That's not a short little drive either, is it? No, <laughs> not to Miami. But we, uh, we went through things like that to get qualified and to get the department that we have today. It's come a long ways. True. How many stations were there when, when you guys first came on duty? When I first came on, there was uh, 12. Yeah. How many are out there nowadays? Do you know? Twenty some. Twenty some. When 30, I was there, thirty some maybe. Yeah, you know, when I left, there was. Uh, we incorporated the nineteen. County. So it's steady growing. Yeah. Um. It, uh, great, great stories about the paramedic service. Um, any big fire incidents that really strike your mind? Uh, that uh, let me you tell remember? you one story, and I'll go back. I'll go back to when I was in high school. Yeah, and I didn't even think about going to the fire department at that time. I wasn't even thinking about anything but playing football and basketball and enjoying the high school. Was Ronnie already on the Ronnie job? Ronnie was on the job. And he was delivering on a part-time job. He was delivering fuel in back of and houses. Off days. A part-time job on his right. off days. He said, why don't you ride with me one day? You pump the fuel. I'll write the tickets, and we'll catch more houses, and we'll do better, and I'll pay you. So I jumped on this little junk crest kerosene truck and we're riding around and we get over in the Hyde Park area of Tampa and we see smoke. And we ride over there and it's a paper company. These big, humongous tons of rolls of paper they stack outside, caught on fire. Probably one of the largest fires they had here in Tampa during that time. And it started jumping through that paper. Ronnie was off duty, they started calling in off duty firemen. So he takes his kerosene truck with me on it and goes to the nearest fire station, which is fire station number eight. He says, come on. So I go with him. They put me on a tank truck. I'm on the fireman. They just put me on a tank truck and gave me a helmet. He said, go with that guy, and he's going to run back and forth to the hydrant. You just stick the hose in there, and they're going to fill the tank up, and, we're going, and we fought fire all afternoon. It was one of the largest fires in Tampa at the time. It burnt for... Ronnie, I don't know, Long eight time. or ten hours. I mean, they fought that fire, burned a couple of houses down. 
but it was one of the largest fires. But it was the start of my career. first career of a fire. I said, you know, this is this is unbelievable. Here I am, not even on the fire department. I'm working, helping them out. Uh, you know, Just, seeing, and so I got firsthand experience. And and from that point on, I said, well, maybe one day I'll do this. Never thinking I actually would, but I did. But that was that was one of the bigger fires. Now Ronnie probably experienced a couple of good-sized fires. Well, we had big fires, but that was one of the bigger fires. I think I read something about that. I read uh, read on the internet some of the historic fires, and one yeah. of them is a paper mill, a yeah. paper uh, paper yeah, vessel. That was fire. it. Wow. But. So, uh, what what did your career paths look like? I mean, Ronnie, obviously you wound up becoming the fire chief uh, it, it, later on. But uh, tell me about you. Did you did did you get promoted, Steve, or did you? I got. I retired as a district chief. Okay. In combat, I um, I served as a paramedic about eighteen years. Uh, in the paramedic field, and then um, I decided that it's uh, closer to a young man's job, and I had my experience, and I uh, went over into combat and got in some exams and took some exams, and was uh, when I left combat, when I left paramedic, I was a captain on a rescue unit, and my next step would be a district yes. chief, but they made a position called a rescue supervisor, and they had three of them, one for each shift, that took care of all the rescue cars on every shift. There were three shifts. And I got promoted to that as a rescue supervisor. So I did the training and the so forth as a rescue supervisor. Then I made district chief and ended up retiring a little la later on out of combat. But um, so our careers, you know. Here's a son of mine, Doug. He was a firefighter. He yeah, he's retired. leaving out here now. He's, he's retired also. Hey, Doug. <laughs> hey, Doug. Doug. He didn't want to get on her. Doug is retired. Now, here's the younger breed here. And he was a paramedic. So they're telling, how, you, how you doing? I'm Doug Mason. I'm Ronnie's son. They're telling so, stories about you. So you I, was, uh, I was with the fire department for 29 years. So I, uh, I went on in, what, 80, 86, 87. 86. Uh, joined 86. And I think you would just finish just it up, Just finish Steve. it up, yep. And uh, you had been gone for a while, so. Yeah. It was a sort of a new era in the fire service. We were, I remember, uh, that's when the, uh, the body substance isolation protocol was coming on. You had the HIV and, and then some of the, the, the illnesses coming on. And we, uh, at first, we didn't have gloves or any kind of protection mask or anything. And then a couple years into it, we started wearing the, the, the protection. But you, had, uh, but you had breathing apparatus by then, breathing right? Breathing, oh yeah, we had it. Well, what it was was we had the, uh, the SCBDAs self-contained breathing apparatus, but we had the old steel bottles, and then the fiberglass bottles were coming on, and what a difference. Yep. I mean, those those old steel bottles with, with these guys, and then all the pictures you would see with, half the time they would be up on the ladders and roofs, and they, they didn't even, they, they would have their, their uh, steel bottle on, but their mask would be hanging around the thing, they'd be up there. The they'd first be up there smoking a cigarette and chop, chopping a hole, you know? <laughs> the first part was a canister that they made a pocket on the back of the, it was a yeah. canister yeah. with a hose. That, right. really, that canister got so hot on your back, we actually had guys get blisters through their coat, right. and they'd just take a canister at a fire and throw it away. I mean, that's, that's all we had. Right. The self-contained mask canister came mask. later and later, right. but, but the canister was what we, all we had. And, and so, the, just, uh, yeah. so the upgrade to the, the fiberglass bottles was a big difference, and then, then even with the fire trucks, you started getting into the enclosed caps. Because you know you'd have the tiller men and everything, and riding on the back. And I rode on the back a little bit with the with the safety harnesses, 
but that only for about a year, and then and then you transition to into the air condition, air condition uh, trucks and yeah, they cheat. And they're cheating now. <laughs> I, I probably and then probably they were, then they were known as fire right rescue, not fire department. It was yeah. called change yeah. to so, fire so rescue. So a lot of things, the EMS was coming up, and you know the originals of that. Y'all probably talked about that, but but it, it uh, and then then the biggest change was all the uh, on the apparatus and the pumps and things, all the digital readouts and the, you know you just you know hitting the button. You know, yeah. They would what, control. What year did you retire? Years. Uh, God, I think I've been retired five years now, five, six years. So, uh, 15-ish? Yeah, 15, 16-ish. Uh, it goes by quick, so. True. Uh, I'd like to tell you one story if I could. Absolutely. Uh, when Ronnie was fire chief, and we were in the midst of all our paramedic training, and everybody got certified that, and we had, we had uh, uh, four, Four rescue units, four rescue trucks. The first truck came in service as Rescue One at Old Station Five on Florida Avenue. It happened to come in on the day that my captain, Tony Licata, myself, and our paramedic in the back were on duty. We had all our training, and we, you know, we were so anxious to have. We didn't want anybody to die, but we wanted we wanted to have an experience. We wanted to have something happen. And lo and behold, on the first day, a call comes in at Tampa Armature Works in Tampa. There's a man down, and we, at that time, we had been trained with our radios to be able to send your heartbeat and your things to the hospital for the doctors to read, then by, walk, by, phone, by walkie-talkie phones, we could communicate in the emergency room and they could tell us what to do on the job, okay? So we- Early telemetry, early, early telemetry, of, yeah. telemetry. Telemetry, so we get into Tamatometer and the guy is in code. So we start doing CPR and we start looking at the protocol for a code that we've been taught and we hook him up for EKG, we send it to the hospital. They get the, they get the, the signal loud and clear. He's in, he's in a ventral V-fib. And so they, they, ask, they tell us to use our paddles and shock him. And we do, several times. Uh, they asked us to start an IV and to uh, introduce several drugs, and we did. But our radio would not communicate to the doctors inside the building, so the guy had to keep running outside to talk to the doctors then he'd run back, guy's name was Mike Slaudroff. He'd run back and say, hey, they want you to do this. Then he'd run out, talk to the doctor, and run back. I vividly remember the, names, the man's name, his name was Mr. Lopez. We got his heartbeat back, we got him back, we got him to Tampa General Hospital, and we visited three or four days later. He was the first survival code under his administration where the paramedic trucks were out and the people were trained. There's a big article in the paper. And so I opened the paper, but the Tribune had gone out to the fire station on day we weren't on duty and took pictures of all the paramedics that weren't that even weren't even seen. Yeah. And their and they, pictures they get, were the paper. They get the credit for it, huh? Yeah, but it was just a, it was, it was the most exciting thing because we were actually able to do the things they trained us to do. And it was, uh, 
it was uh, it was like a, like you know we didn't we were getting getting all this training, but we weren't sure it was all going to work, and it worked. Right, I, I'm gonna tell you. Hold why. on a second. I, all right, go ahead. Now, Doug's, a, Doug's story. Yeah, this is a quick story. Uh, this was back uh, several years ago, and uh, my brother, Ronnie Jr., uh, Ronnie Sr.'s son, um, we had a, uh, a situation. He lived in Seminole Heights uh, around Henry and Ola, and uh, I worked at a, a fire station close by up on Hillsborough Avenue, uh, West Tampa area or Wellswood area. So one morning, uh, during shift change, we're uh, uh, changing out, I'm coming on, and I'm the captain for the day, and uh, we get a, a code 12, which is a building fire. And the address comes in, I, and I think to myself, I said, wow, that's, that's pretty close to where my brother lives. Uh, it's, it sounded like it's in his neighborhood. So during shift change, you know, people coming and going, and I was like, all right, let's go, everybody. Get on the truck, let's go. And it actually, we were due second in to this territory because it was across the river, but, uh, but we got everybody jumped on. I was like, I think this is my brother's house. We're close to it. So we get going that way and turn the corner, and sure enough, my brother, Ronnie Jr., is in, in the front yard waving and i was like oh my gosh so we went in there and you you could have seen four firemen get off the truck as quick as they've ever gotten off to get in there we, we were actually it was an attic fire and we put it out and saved a lot of damage on it so uh that was an experience where you don't get the chance every day to put out a fire on your brother's on your brother's house on your brother's <laughs> it, house it's good thing you liked your brother and i'm glad i wasn't loafing that morning i was like oh my gosh here we go again <laughs> so that's just a quick story thank you good Thanks. story Tell you though, you have stories that do stick. Yeah, we had a uh, call to the airport, uh, and he said a man had a heart attack. We got there, and the we had trouble sometime with some of the doctors didn't accept the paramedics as well as other doctors. We had one doctor at Tampa General that really gave us a lot of problems. He was a young guy. He thought we all want to be doctors and all that, you know. They, but you're firemen and we're doctors. And I'm a cardiologist. We uh, worked a code, took it into a younger guy, get on the airplane, and uh, we took the code into uh, Tampa General. And this doctor happened to be on duty, so he come in, and you have. We'd been working the code. And we were just getting little things that was happening that indicated this man, you know, did come and go. We would get a heartbeat every once in a while. So this, this smart doctor, I shouldn't say smart doctor, but one that thought didn't believe in fire rescue, he walked in, he said, uh, he just looked at the guy at the door, walked in with him and said, call it. And when they call the code, that means he's dead. Uh, It's all right. Go ahead. Take your time. Take your time. We're good. We're good. I'm sorry. I had a stroke. You're fine. Take your time. Take your time. But to add to Ronnie. Anyway, they uh, they called it, and I said no. And uh, Dr. 
I tried to think of his name. It was a friend of mine was a cardiologist, and he came by, and I said, I think we got a chance. So he overrode the doctor. And the other doctor said, work it, Ronnie said to work it. Do we work with the guy? To add on your story a little bit, we right. had, just like I'm sure you experienced, we had some doctors who uh, weren't so sold on the program that they're going to let firemen out there with needles and paddles and drugs and things and uh, that stuff belongs in a hospital. You had six, seven minutes to get a person to the hospital. Your job was to pick that person up and get them to the hospital within seven minutes. We'll do the saving. You know, there's a few doctors that felt like that. Yep. And uh, but as that as the people got better trained and better trained, that that became a big fallacy. But uh, uh, this guy, Doctor Guy, lived. He was a police officer in Miami, and came back visits. Yeah. So this doctor who didn't believe in what you guys didn't, were doing in the field. Didn't believe in fire rescue that we were trying to be miracle men and pull things off, you know, be real heroes. And because you were there and knew the other doctor, you kept things going the and brought him back. The other doctor knew me personally. We went to high school together, and he said, no, we're going to work it. And we worked the code. The guy lived, and we came back and visited us later on. He was a police officer in Miami. Could be alive today, I guess. No. You know, there is, there is, a, a, you, you've been a firefighter, and, uh, paramedics and you know I, ha I was asked a question several times on another interview we did for the fire department one time you know what do you feel when you're when you're out there as a paramedic I mean is it just you're just doing your job and you go home and and I would say you know uh, there's it's 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 one of the most rewarding things that you do when you when you help somebody uh, as a paramedic and you take somebody out of a car and you, you give them some relief or you help a man who has COPOD in the house and can't hardly breathe and you're getting back or you bring somebody back in a code. Whatever you're doing, you're just helping people and it's very rewarding. There, there's, a, there's, there's, there's something that, that if, you're, if you care about your job, there's something spiritual there that makes you feel like you're really doing something that you're supposed to do. And I, we had a lot of paramedics who felt really felt that way. And I'm going to tell you a little story that uh, that kind of goes along with Ronnie's is that uh, the same crew that worked on Mr. Lopez, we were sitting in station one day, and a call came in uh, that a man had got electrocuted. We didn't know what it was all about, but once we got to the house, there's a little house of similar heights. That was back in the days when they had TV antennas. Mm-hmm. And he was moving his TV antenna from his chimney to another place on his roof for a better uh, pickup of TV signal. The pole got away from him and it tilted over and it hit the high power line in the front of his house. He had the wire that went to his, his uh, antenna was coiled up and wrapped around his left oh, arm wow. when he was carrying it. And then when it hit, it just knocked him off the roof. And we got there. He was laying in the front yard. And it just looked like, you know, it, death. It take, it, death. His, his left arm was gone. A 
We could see both heels were exposed from where the electricity passed through him. We started to walk out there. We got with about 10 or 15 feet, and we could feel electricity in the ground. We couldn't go any further. We go back to the, back to the fire engine that I had gotten there, and we get a pipe pole, and we hook onto the man's clothes, and we drag him to us, and we begin to work on him. We had, back then, we had burn unit. He was burnt over 67% of his body. We had burn uh, kits, open a white sterile tissue uh, sheet, I mean not tissue, but a sheet and, uh, and uh, saline solution, cover him, wrap him, give him as sterile as possible before we get him to the hospital. Because infection is the first thing you're thinking about. So we wrap him up and I mean literally, you could see it burn all the hair off the top of his head, you could see steam coming from the top of his mm -hmm. head. So we, but he was breathing. I mean, he was alive. So we get some oxygen on him, and we get him to uh, St. Joseph Hospital. And when we get in the emergency room, we had a doctor look at him and checked him out and said, uh, hey, this man is Gone. one minute, two minutes from being history. There's no use, no use to waste time on this. This is, this is a, just this, this guy's gone. And he just took the sheet and laid over the guy. Well, we're standing there, and we had gone to quite a lot of trouble to get this guy out of a very serious place and get him to the hospital. So my captain, Tony Licata, just picked the sheet up and looked at him and said, you know, this guy's still breathing. And the doctor turned to us and said, well, you want to take him to Tampa General Burn Unit, you're welcome to do so. We grabbed that man up, put him back on the stretcher, took him to Tampa General, they were ready for him when we got there because they had a burn unit. They started treating him. And we just cleaned ourselves all up, cleaned our units all up, got it back into service, went back to the fire station. And literally, we usually just figured that, you know, a guy probably died. We didn't think anything about it. Four months passes, four or five months, something like that. We're eating dinner, and a man walks in with a, with a, got one arm missing and he's got a cane and he walks in he says uh, I'm looking for he got a piece of paper I'm looking for Captain Licata uh, driver engineer Mason and paramedic Slaudroff that's us where you here what can we do for you there was 10 of us eating around the table station 5 he said I just got something for you and he brought in the, I forgot it was a bowl of fruit whatever it was cake he says just want you to know you remember me? I'm the one that you took off the roof. Wow. He took his shirt off and showed us his back, and you could see all his, he had only a little, little layer of skin. You could almost see blood running through the vessels on his back. Missing a, missing a complete shoulder and arm. He had some kind of feet rebuilt. And, I mean, literally, there was a man who they put a sheet over on one hospital and because but the story only goes back to the fact that it's just that I believe in today that paramedics are so well trained. I've used them myself in my home. And I, I think it's one of the greatest services that our communities have. Just one of the greatest. It is. Let's um, kind of change topics just a little bit and part of the lighter side of this podcast. And uh, I'm working on a, an episode 
about practical jokes and pranks. And I'm going to wonder if the Tampa Fire Department in the day or the Tampa Fire Rescue that it became, if there were ever any practical jokes or pranks ever played around a firehouse in, in Tampa. I'm sure there was, but I'm afraid I can't tell you about them. <laughs> so so, here, so here's, a, here's a common theme. Nobody wants to really get into the details. And I, want, I don't understand. I, I just don't understand. Well, there was one when I was a rookie. Uh, I, I'd been on the station only a couple of days. And uh, uh, it's a two-story old building, fire station, small but two-story. We sleep upstairs in bunks, single beds. And uh, I'm laying in bed, and they had rigged a fishing pole with a line up through the ceiling, and they tied a big old rat on it. <laughs> and they lowered it down all the way to right to my face and then set off the alarm. So I'd see this rat. And of course, it scared the heck out of me. They, they, all, they all got a big joke out of it, and every, everybody thought, "Well, this was this is, you know, really funny." And that kind of it was, th those rookie things were kind of kind of pulled all the time. I mean, there was there was numerous numerous rookie uh, jokes. jokes that were pulled. Some you could probably talk about, some you couldn't. But that was one I thought about. Right, and this is not an endorsement for those out there now that say, no, "Oh, that's a great no. idea. Let's give that uh, a try." No, it, it, <laughs> it was it was set up to, to, uh, and you know, there was always that first time, first alarm. They'd take your boots. They always were sitting by the engine, fill them full of water, ring the bell. Then you come down and and you'd get on your boots and and then you'd be standing there with boots full of water, and they, that's what they did to me. And I got down, I got my boots on, I took them off to empty the water out, and they took off with the engine. <laughs> Of course, they just went around they the block, block. Yeah. and made me feel like I didn't get my, I didn't make the engine in time. So there they was, there was kind of things like that going on all the time. But that was just part of, part of the job. Part of One the job. thing you know is about the fire service, you you do attract famous people. Uh, uh, the people like to come by and be with the firemen, Babe Saharas, Patty Berg, the golfers. They used to live at Number One Fire Station. They were always wanting to slide. They always wanted to slide their poles. <laughs> we used to always laugh about Babes Harris coming, sliding the poles, showing everybody her fanny. <laughs> but uh, she didn't care. But she was a good person. But she always loved firemen. She always took care of firemen. If you were ever out at her golf course in Tampa, she found out you were a fireman. She, you'd never pay anything. She'd wow. have play golf, do whatever you want to. Now, did you did you hire the first woman? I hired the first two women. I hired the first two blacks. In, in the city, when you were fire chief, mm -hmm. and you were fire chief, if uh, the website's correct, seventy six to seventy nine. Yes, yeah, seventy six right? seventy nine. Did you go from uh, when when I'm assuming because looking at a lot of the old fire the history of fire chiefs, it's about a four year block. Is where are you? Is the fire chief an appointed position by the yeah. the mayor? Yeah. So, like most big cities. New mayor, new fire chief, new police well, chief. New I was a mayor under Bill Poe, and then when uh, the next election came along, and, and I knew that the guy that was appointed chief, he was black back in the guy that I, I didn't take up. I just stayed out of it and because I was going to be neutral, and uh, he picked someone he wanted to be chief, and that was his pick, and that's the way it goes. I, didn't, I walked away from it. I had a good career. And from there, where did you go? I, I think you went into politics, didn't you? I ran for city council. I was a city councilman for 12 years. I chaired the council for, for 12 years. 
What was yeah. that like being on that side of the coin versus uh, being in the in the department? It was good. We got lots done and still advanced the fire service. They still would kid me all the time. I'd find a picture of me on the desk saying about the old chief is still trying to run the fire department and still doing favors for the fire department. But during that period of time, I can say we did advance our uh, paramedic program on quite a bit. Wow. We, we made sure that we got the best department. We are, I know Tampa is probably rated right in the top in the nation. And we got, we used to see things happen. Like I tell you, they would, we'd uh, see things that they were talking about on TV, on the TV shows the fire departments were doing. And that was just what we had originally You'd been doing for that. years, yeah. yeah. The code situation is one of them. Code, they picked up our code. That code came from Tampa. They said nationwide now somebody coded, they died. That came from Tampa. I know that. Wow. Well, we've been at it uh, close to an hour. Kind of start wrapping us up here. Um, you know, the, the part of this, the concept of this podcast is talking about traditions and 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 um, the kind of the culture of the fire department. What what types of cultural or traditional things, on a more serious note, from the rather than the practical jokes and the pranks, what type of traditions that you guys saw over your career? that you think may have faded or aren't there anymore that maybe the, the newer generation really needs to appreciate or understand a little bit better? Well, if I had to, if I had to pinpoint it uh, from my career, uh, when I went on the fire department, they took you and they, they gave you a, they gave you a talk, uh, the, the assistant chief talked to you and told you what they expected from you as an individual as a, as a firefighter, and uh, or as a fireman, uh, you know, and it was just very simple. You 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 pay your bills, you take care of your family, and you you stay responsible in the, in your neighborhood. And if you do those things, you'll have a job. When you break those rules, when you become a person who doesn't pay the electric bill, <laughs> simple as that. A person who doesn't pay Sears on time, or a person who doesn't, uh, who mistreats a neighbor, you're not gonna be a fireman anymore. It was kind of that simple, they tell you that. Um, but I think that in the olden days in the fire stations, we maintained the fire station extremely well, okay? The cleanliness of the fire station, the lawns, the buildings, they were all up to the captain of that station. And we had days that we worked in the lawns and did lawn work and kept our lawns up. We had days that we cleaned the entire of the station from foot to, I mean, really cleaned it. Those days I find out now are pretty much gone. They hire a sanitation, people to come in and clean the stations. They hire somebody to come in and do the lawns. But I do realize now they do more activity now. The fire engineers run more now. They run on emergencies now. So that's, that tradition has changed. So we can't go back to that tradition. But the tradition that that um, that I think that I, I think about the most is when I see, when I go to a funeral of my friends that are dying now, and I go to quite a few, because we have a large retirement organization and we go to each other's funerals and things, and 
the honor guard shows up from the Tampa Fire Department if they're requested. It's the most impressive thing I have ever seen in my life. We didn't have an honor guard back in the old days. There was, there was no funding or nothing. And that tradition they've started is a tradition that it is something that impresses me so much when I go to, to a funeral. These guys are so well-trained and are so respective to people who have passed away, firefighters, that it, it, that tradition, I hope that it'll stay with the fire department for a long time it, because they, it's, it's, the fire department is as close to military as you're gonna get, okay? I mean, it's a civilian job, but it's, it's a military uh, outline. And um, so I, I hope that the fire department never loses that type of tradition for their, for their Amen. Workers. Ronnie, anything you want to add? No, I can recommend any person that's looking for a good profession to become a firefighter is a very honorable job. Yeah, and I think so. You can well serve your community. And, uh, just to kind of bring that to a wrap, it, it looks like your family's been a great service to the community. We were chatting a little bit. Your your uncles, Ed and Gus Levine. 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 Uh, Levine uh, were firefighters in the city of Tampa in the 30s. They were there when you came on in uh, 1950. Uh, you came on in the 60s. Uh, Ronnie, your son came on in the 80s. It sounds like your family's been part of that department for uh Pretty close to a hundred years. Yeah. Any any family members currently serving on the department? No, we don't have any family members now. Uh, well, uh, we got them with the sheriff's department, but none with the. No, see that that on the fire. That, uh, on the fire. Even with the sheriff's department, you know, we call them our our uh, second cousins, even though they couldn't score quite as well on that test to get in the fire department. <laughs> they they're still serving the community, so and I'm gonna get some grief about that. I know. Yeah, so. you'll catch that. Uh, well, uh, Chief Ronald. Uh, w. Mason Sr., Tampa Fire, uh, thank you for your service to the community, and thanks for being here, and District Chief Steve Mason. Thank, thank you, you guys. for giving this time and helping and passing this good things on to the rest of the community. Well, keep keep some notes, and the next time I'm in the neighborhood, uh, maybe we'll get together and tell some more stories. Then. Yeah, How's that sounds sound? good. All right. thank, thank you, guys. Thank you. Again, thanks to the entire Mason family for letting me come to their home to record this episode. I hope to do it again one day and get even more stories from their careers. And thanks to you for listening. I appreciate all the comments and suggestions and continue to ask for your feedback. Please be sure and subscribe and give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you use and shoot me any comments or suggestions. You can get to me by emailing firehouselogbook at gmail.com or on Facebook, just search Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm also on Twitter at FDLogbook and Instagram at FD Logbook Podcast.